1: Inside to Outside, Repairs to Renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
0: I'm Lexi. I'm Shannon. I'm Tiffany. And this is the 6 and 9 podcast. Family dinner is at 6 and pre-drinks are at 9. We're serving laughs, cocktails, and lots of stories we probably shouldn't share. In this multi-generational mother-daughter podcast, nothing is off the table. We're unfiltered, uncensored, and undone. You can catch a new episode of Six and Nine every Tuesday anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you are invited.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Queer Contessa podcast. The show that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice so that you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren the Goodwin, and we're currently living and working through another pandemic. It's the I hate my job pandemic that has many workers running toward the great resignation. So what happens when a company has a chief well-being officer? How does a unique role like that help to solve our collective burnout with work and, dare I even say it, but help us to actually like work again? Today, I'm joined by Jen Fisher, author and Deloitte's Chief Wellbeing Officer for an interactive discussion around how we can enjoy and engage with work. Plus, she'll share exactly what we need to focus on more, both as managers and co-workers for a more positive future. And now, this is the Career Contessa podcast. Jen Fisher is Deloitte's Chief Well-being Officer and author of Work Better Together. How to build strong relationships and maximize Wellbeing and boost bottom lines. Jen, can we start with what exactly a well-being officer does and and really how your career led you to this role?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's uh two questions that that I get quite often. So, I'll I bet. I'll, <laughs> so, I'll start with how my career led me to this role because then I think that it'll kind of uh, go in nicely to, to kind of what I do on a day-to-day basis and my responsibilities. But the truth is, is how my career led me to this role is it was a, a little bit out of or a lot out of personal necessity. And so I have been with Deloitte for 20 years. And about seven years ago, I found myself completely burnt out uh, to the point where it had you know really like crept up on me crept up on me and i kept kind of denying it and pretending that it wasn't true um until I really couldn't get out of bed and engage in work or life in any meaningful way, and so I was forced to take a step back and and you know take time off of work and a, and a leave of absence to get myself well, both physically but also mentally. I was struggling with anxiety and depression at the time as well, and so um, you know in doing that and going through that process myself, um, I became very passionate about. Wanting to help others not get to where I got in order to be, you know, successful in their career, and you know, I think as as I have reflected on it over the years, you know, there was so much. You know, people ask me all the time, "Well, you know, what were the signs of burnout? Did you know? Um, what did it look like? What did it feel like?" And you know, the, the truth is, is I, you know, I did know. I knew that there was something wrong. I knew that um, you know, I I wasn't sleeping well you know, I was very reactive. I had lots of highs and lows. I, you know, my work product was suffering. My relationships both in and out of the workplace were suffering. My relationship with food changed very dramatically. I just really kind of like wasn't myself, but I, you know, but I, I looked around and in, you know, in the working world, especially when you work among a bunch of high performing people, you know, we are all very good at, 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 um, you know, showing up and kind of pretending that, that we've got it all, you know, we've got it all yeah. covered. Right. And so all of the roles that we play in our lives, you know, whether it's employee or you know spouse or partner or, you know, parent or, you know, child or sister, brother, friend, like all of those things. Right. I was like, wow, well, everybody else seems to have it all together. So that must mean yeah. that there's something wrong with me. Um, <laughs> and so I didn't reach out and ask for help. I didn't talk about it. And especially seven years ago, burnout was not like, it wasn't a thing that you talked about, like it was nowhere. And I mean, now I feel like you look, Everywhere and everybody's talking about it, which is great, right? Because it's real and burnout is is a real thing, and we should all be very aware of it. Um, but I didn't re- I didn't reach for help. I didn't ask, you know, I didn't tell anybody that I, you know, that I didn't think I was doing well. My husband, you know, pointed it out kind of on a number of occasions, but you know, who listens to their spouse, right? So, right. Mm-hmm. So, no, <laughs> never. <laughs> so, so I just, you know, I just kept telling myself, I'm going to power through. I'm going to power through. I'll rest on the weekend. I'll rest when this project's done, you know, but and that time never came, right? Like until my body I was, was just ask, like, did...
1: yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Did well, I was going to say, did you ever consider quitting, you know, and and say I'm going to take a break or was that just like also you just didn't see that as an option?
0: I didn't see it as an option because I processed what I was going through as failure because I looked around mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, like everybody else seems to have it all together, so what's wrong with me? And so it was more of a like game that I was playing with myself that like I'm going to prove myself. I can do this. I can do this, right? Instead of st- stepping back and saying, like, "Well, what's actually going on here? And, and what's wrong? And is this is this the life and the career that I want to have and the way that I want to live?" You know, and it wasn't mm-hmm. really, it wasn't anybody else imposing these things on me. It really wasn't Deloitte or the work that I was doing or anything like that. It was just this drive that I had to like be Uber successful, more, 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 more exactly. You know, more, 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 mm-hmm. and you know, I. I never also, I never really stepped back to say, like, what do I want out of life? What do I want my career to look like? What does success look like to Jen? And I think that's a huge lesson learned for me because Mm -hmm. I was always striving for some external definition of success. I would look around and I'd be like, oh, that person's successful. So I'm going to do that. And that person's successful. So I'm going to do that. And that person's... And I never really thought like, are these the things that I really want to (laughs) do? Right. And so I was Mm -hmm. constantly striving for somebody else's definition of success. And now I step back and I'm like, okay, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that because that doesn't align with my definition of success and getting very comfortable in that kind of... Of course, you know hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think that that's huge, right? When you're trying to like constantly achieve someone else's or society's definition of success for you, that's a huge factor in burnout, right? Is because we're it is it's just more and more more, and none of it's ever good enough. Like it was like I would accomplish something and I wouldn't take the time to celebrate it. I would just be like, all right, what's next, you know? And I would move on. Um, and not ever give myself that like, you know, hug or pat on the back or take time to celebrate the accomplishments that I did have. And so mm-hmm. anyway, a long way of answering your question. And so... That kind of intersected. You know, I took some time off and then I came back to work. And the leader that I was working for, who is now a, a great friend and, and continues to be a mentor to me today, I actually at that time decided I was going to resign from the organization because I wanted to focus on helping others not get where I got in order to, you know, have a, a, a successful career. Career, right? I wanted everybody mm-hmm. to, to know and to be able to kind of design a life that, like, you can have a meaningful life and a successful career as part of a meaningful life. <laughs> if that's what you choose people to do, people are like, so Are you sure? This to her and I thanked her for everything and told her I was going to resign. And she was actually, <laughs> yeah. So she was the one that actually pushed back on me. And she was like, Jen, if you need this, then everybody else at Delight needs this. And so go back to where you came from, put together a business case for what well-being, what this looks like at Deloitte and you know, speak to the key leaders um, and see if they'll give you a chance to do this. And so that's what I did. I spent a couple of months doing research, writing a business case. And then I met with... Um, with leaders of, of the firm at the time and basically said, you know, give me a chance to do this. Um, and if it doesn't work, then then I'll leave. Cause that was kind of my plan already. And that was about six and a half years ago. And I'm I'm still here <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's still going strong. And I would say I think for Deloitte, you know, well being and performance, you know, and the impact that that well being has on on high performance has been important for a number of years now, but probably, you know, n- no more evident in kind of the last 16, 18 months that, that we've all had yeah. living through the pandemic. It has really landed front and center on, you know, not just the desk of every person that works, but every, you know, C-suite executive as they try to find out or figure out how to take care of, of, of their workforce in ways that that organizations have never really had to before. And so, it has been really kind of an interesting time for those of us in, in the well-being field. And so what exactly does a well-being officer do? Um, there's lots of things. <laughs> but I would mm-hmm. say if I had to sum up my role and the focus of my role, it's, it's actually in large part a culture role. And so do we develop tools, resources, and education for our people to empower them, to teach them, to change their mindset, change their habit, make make change their habits, make better decisions for themselves and empower them to do that. But in order for those things to be successful, you know an organization and its leadership really have to step back and say, okay, what kind of culture do we need to empower our people? and what are the what what are the things in our culture today? That are holding people back. and you know, in any organization, especially one that's been around for a long time, there are long-standing cultural norms, whether they're spoken or unspoken that exist and and they were probably created for a good reason, you know they at the time that they were created or the reason that they exist that they, they probably weren't ill-intentioned but We've never really stepped back to say, okay, is this still serving us in in the way that we work? Because work has changed so quickly and so rapidly. And so just to really take a good hard look at those things and say, okay, how do what do we want to do? And how do we want what do we want this to look like? And how do we make this change so that people feel really empowered to to take care of themselves and they know that it's something that is you know, important to the organization at a strategic level. It's important to the team and the teams they work on. And then, of course, because we care for them, you know, as individuals as well as, you know, their dependents and loved ones.
1: Mm -hmm. So I have a couple of follow-up questions. Um, I'm curious, I really relate to what you said about the definition of success was very much tied to external things. And I'm curious when you talk about coming up with your definition of success for Jen... What is that now? I mean, I think a lot of people tie it to external because they have a lot of trouble answering the question, what does success specifically mean to me? So I'm curious, maybe you can give us your answer to inspire us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so I think the, the most important learning that I have when it comes to that is you know, my definition of success is not necessarily tied to the job that I do every single day. Um, and so my definition of success is really for me um, as, as as an individual human to live a life of, uh, you know, fueled by, you know, what it what it looks like and what it means to live a life of, of well-being and my own definition of well-being, which is eat, move, sleep, and find joy. And so to live that life in a way that I can serve as an inspiration and as an example. For others. And so that to me is my definition of success. And so, do I do that in my job every single day? I do, but could, you know, if my job went away tomorrow, could I still do that regardless of what my job is? Right. And so, I Mm -hmm. think that that's really important because for me, for a really long time, my definition of success was tied either to the organization that I was working for or the job that i was doing and and those things in life come and go whether that's on you know your own decision to leave a job or an organization or you know something else happens and for whatever reason you get let go from an organization so i think you know just throughout my career i've you know i've kind of <laughs> made those mm-hmm. mistakes and kind of realized like okay you know, who I am and what's important to me and what makes me successful and what gives me purpose and meaning in life, you know, I can pull through regardless of the job that I'm doing, because it's about living a life of, of, of being. It's about inspiring and helping others. And, and I can do that in any role that I'm in. And so I think that it's really important to separate success from the job that you're doing today, if you will, or, you know, the job that, you know, your dream job, right? Um, I think, you know, what's the outcome of the impact that you want to have versus like the specific job that you're doing?
1: I completely agree. I, I, that's why I don't actually like the phrase dream job. I think it ties way too much to a job. Like a job's going to fulfill every part of you. I'm much more of a fan if we have to put a label on it and we've done a podcast episode on this. so Everyone can go find it if they want, but it's called the good enough job, you know? So the point is if the job went away tomorrow, you would still have the, what success means to you. Getting back into your work routine, but not loving the uncomfortable work clothes you used to wear. Beta brand has the pants you never realized you needed. Ultra comfortable dress pant, yoga pants. So your routine can now include clothes with professional style and comfort. Beta brands, dress pant, yoga pants are designed with the fit and flexibility of yoga pants, but they look like professional dress pants. They're so amazingly soft and stretchy and absolutely effortless. Just throw a pair on, add a cute top, and you'll be set with style and comfort for your workday. There are tons of different styles to choose from, like the straight leg, skinny, cropped bootleg, and more. And the colors range from classic black to fun prints like houndstooth, and they've even come in denim styles. The navy dress pant yoga pant in the straight leg classic is so comfortable. Beta Brand's Dress Pant Yoga Pants are perfect for whatever you need to get done that day. Whether you're sitting at a desk for eight hours, working with kids and bending and kneeling all day, or maybe you're a photographer and you need to squat to get that perfect shot. Whatever the case, you're going to look great and feel great doing it. These pants are made of wrinkle-resistant, stretch-knit fabric, so they'll look good all day and even travel well. Plus, they're machine-washable and they don't need to be ironed. And the best part is they have pockets. We're talking comfort and function. No more fake pockets that are sewn shut. These pants are designed for real women who need real pockets. New colors, patterns, and styles are coming out all the time. So be sure to keep an eye out for limited time new releases because they sell out fast. While you're there, make sure to check out Beta Brand's ultra flattering tops, skirts, dresses, and more. The dress pant yoga pants are just the tip of the iceberg. Right now our listeners can get 30% off their beta brand orders when you go to betabrand.com slash females. That's B-E-T-A-B-R-A-N-D.com slash females, F-E-M-A-I-L-S, for 30% off your order for a limited time. And when you use our special URL, you're supporting our show too. Discover what it's like to be comfortable and confident all the time. Just go to betabrand.com slash females for 30% off your first order. Okay, now back to the show. Obviously, you do a lot of research on what makes people you know, well at work and this meaningful work and, and to feel fulfilled. What's the number one thing? You also just wrote a book about it. but like, What is the number <laughs> one thing that helps people feel fulfilled at work?
0: Yeah, so it is close personal relationships in the workplace and um you know I I know some people listening to this will be like wait what really because it is in some ways kind of a long debated topic right is it you know is it a good thing to have friends at work um or or is it not and you know, through all of our research and the book that we wrote called Work Better Together, we're big advocates and, and proponents for you know having friends at work and having meaningful relationships at work. And so does that mean that everybody that you work with needs to be your best friend? No, absolutely not. I mean, that's not, that's not, Reasonable, <laughs> it, it's not possible because people are people. But you know, looking at workplace cultures and the types of of relationships um, that that you have in the workplace, and there are many different types of relationships that you have in the workplace, and and also you know the the different cultures that either you know promote collaborative human work versus you know promoting and, and rewarding behavior that perhaps isn't as as collaborative and it isn't as, um, you know, doesn't really promote people developing relationships with one another. But what we know about humans is, you know, we're social creatures, right? And I think, again, if you reflect on the past 16 to 18 months and what most of us have missed about our lives (laughs) is the human connection, right? And if you look at You know, and so I think we've all kind of had that experience. But prior to that, if you there's a long, there's a lot of studies. But one of the studies that we state in the book is that Harvard uh, study on human longevity and it's an 80 something year study i think 83 years where they've looked at you know thousands of different participants and they have studied many in- influencers or impacts of our long long term health and well-being and you know from from you know money to fame to what we eat to how much sleep we get to how much exercise you know all that kind of stuff and the number one thing that has come up time and time again is the strength of our personal relationships so and so if you're an adult and you're working <laughs> and you you yeah. translate that study into the workplace. And if you're spending eight, nine, 10 hours a day, you know, working, whether it be virtual or in person, the people that have the biggest impact on your well-being are the people that you work, you know, that you spend the most time with. And at work, those are the that's your team. Those are the people that you know you work with day in and day out. And so having some close relationships also gives people Meaning and purpose to get up in the morning, you know, the, the water cooler talk and, you know, the, the feelings of, of connection and that I'm valued and that I belong here um, are all things that we're all looking for, not just in life, but also from, from our workplaces.
1: Mm -hmm. A trend I've noticed, and I don't know if this was just with COVID, but certainly it's very popular with COVID is a lot of people are recognizing that they actually work in very toxic workplace uh, environments and that includes their work relationships. So I guess this is kind of a two-part question. How do you identify or make sure that you have those meaningful relationships, which I'm kind of thinking you probably know this already, like you probably (laughs) recognize if you have them or not. But also for all the people who are out there who are listening and saying, I don't I feel really lonely at work. I feel like I'm in a toxic relationship with the people at work, and you know, uh, toxic relationships with like maybe my boss or environment. What's your advice for them?
0: It's a great question. And so, first of all, I mean, I would say, you know, how how can you tell if you are lonely at work? I mean, do you, is there is there anyone at work that you would consider, you know, a friend that you have? you know, non-work related conversations with, and I'm not talking about, you know, really really personal relationships about the nitty gritty details of your life but do you have you know people that you have you know water cooler chat with where you talk about mm-hmm. you know what you did this weekend or the favorite show that you're binge watching or that you know i think one of the big factors that for us that that kept showing up time and time again and i'm sure a lot of people listening will have heard this concept or this language around psychological safety do you feel you know safe at work in terms of Speaking up in terms of sharing an alternative point of view, in terms of you know speaking up and asking for for what you need for you know for your own well being, um, speaking up and asking for help. You know, when I talked about my burnout story, I didn't ask for help um, because I felt like I was the only one. You know, and 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 then I would just say, like, I mean. <laughs> you know, toxic relationships i mean do you know do you have the sunday scaries right i mean do you feel kind of a sense of of dread logging onto your computer or walking into your into your workplace you know more often than not i would say that you know those are those are signs of a toxic workplace but i think in particular if you don't feel like you can be yourself and you can speak up and ask for what you need or share an alternative point of view that you feel like you constantly just have to agree so that you aren't You know, seen as the outlier, or that you don't feel like there's going to be any type of retaliation or backlash. I would also say, if you believe that you're in a toxic culture, or you feel like you're in a toxic culture, it's time to start looking elsewhere. It's not worth it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) kind of like if
1: if, if you're googling it, (laughs) then it's time. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I mean, it's yeah, exactly. The impact of working in a toxic culture for you know any significant. Period of time, the level of stress um, that that places upon any one person, and the, the you know the impact that that could have on on your your health and well being. It's just not worth it. I mean, life is too short. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. There's 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 lots of you know there's there's always you know there's always another job. It might not come around immediately, but it's still to me it's not worth staying in something that is that is that toxic for you. That said, I mean, I think also, you know, if you do feel lonely at work, I think you could also take a step back and say, you know, have I have I have I done the work to try to develop some relationships, right? Like, have I reached out to somebody? Have I put time on a calendar to kind of have a virtual coffee chat or an in-person coffee chat, depending on, you know, your comfort level these days. But have you actually taken some steps to develop those relationships yourself? And so I think sometimes we kind of tend to point the finger, all of us, it's human nature to kind of point the finger and say, well, they haven't done this or they haven't done that. And we we sit back and kind of wait for others to do. So I think it is important before you kind of, you know, say okay this place is awful and toxic and I'm out of here, <laughs> have you tried to do some of the things to develop those relationships and kind of make it a more trusting atmosphere for yourself? I think, you know, looking at that and taking a good hard look at that is, is a good idea as well.
1: Yeah, I like to say you take yourself wherever you go. So if you're not doing the internal work to say, you know, how am I playing a role in this, which to your point, like it could be something where you're blaming everybody, but you've never made an effort or put yourself out there. So they haven't gotten to know you either. It's like, well, going, changing the job and the company doesn't change the fact that, you know, you are still going to be there. And so kind of looking at your own actions. Something else you've said is that you didn't ask for help. And I'm curious. I think a lot of people listening to this might be thinking, I don't know how to ask for help. Or what wh- what do I say to my boss? How do I start the conversation? Like, yes, I feel burnt out. What's your advice? Like, do they schedule one-on-one? What's the like script that they would give to ask for help?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And so I, I think there's a, there's a couple of ways that you can do this. You know, I think for me, when I, when I started to share my story, um, you know, when I took time off and I came back and, and I started to feel comfortable sharing what I'd been through. And by the way, not everybody does feel comfortable kind of sharing it on a broader scale. But I did. The number of people that said to me, wow, I had no idea, me too. It was actually pretty shocking to me, right? Because like I said to you, I looked around and I was like, "Wow, there, there's no way that you're feeling like I mean, you seem like you have it all together. There's no way that you who are feeling this way too, right?" So I think if you if you don't, first of all, if you don't feel comfortable going directly to your leader or your boss, you know, are there a few of your colleagues that you can talk to and say, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm feeling this way." You know, what do you think? What do you recommend? You know, what, do you, what do you suggest? Right? And you might find that you find a colleague that has been in that place before and they might have some great experiences or suggestions to share with you. If you don't feel comfortable going to a colleague or a boss, um, you can always go to HR and, you know, and have a very confidential conversation with HR about how you're feeling and, and understand from HR what's available to you in terms of you know an employee assistance program or any type of time off programs leaves of abs- absences things like that and hr's role is to really help facilitate that and if you don't want anybody to know what you're going through nothing from you know an hr perspective ever really has to be disclosed if you if you do feel comfortable with your your leader and you want to have a conversation with your boss i mean look i think you know being you know, being as authentic as possible. But you know, I would say, you know, it's I, I would stay away from 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 blaming um and just, mm-hmm. you know, talk about, look, like this is what I'm experiencing. this is what I'm feeling. I think it would be great. It's always a great idea when you're talking with a leader to potentially come with some ideas and solutions about what you think, would be helpful for you and potentially others, right? I mean, look, I think, you know, leaders and bosses are people too. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times if, you know, the team is under a lot of pressure, the leader is also under a lot of pressure. And, You know, it might not be either. Is feeling what you're feeling, and may not know how to handle it, or might not. You know, might not. There's just so much going on that they might, that they may or may not see it, or if they do see it, they they themselves don't know what to do about it, and so. I think you know offering up some solutions about what you think might be helpful to you and what you need um, is always a good approach because that helps you know that kind of helps open the conversation as moving into solution instead of kind of getting stuck in the problem. So I think sharing what you're experiencing and what you're feeling is important, but then kind of quickly moving into some ideas that you have that you think may help you. I do think it's important for leaders to understand that, especially during the pandemic and more recently, you're seeing a lot of organizations that with all of the, you know, the best intentions in mind and in heart, you know, taking actions to kind of, give people, you know, more days off or a day here or a day, day there or, or closing down the organization for a week or you know giving people, you know, subsidies to help fund things and I'm not saying any of this is bad it's not these are all great things that you know should be looked at as part of the overall employee experience employee engagement employee well-being but i you know it gets back to kind of what we were talking about related to toxic cultures right giving people a day off here and there or a week off or giving them You know, more money from a monetary perspective, whether it's through subsidizing, you know, memberships to a gym or other things like that. Those aren't really long term solutions. They work, you know, they're helpful in the moment. They give people kind of a a, a burst of energy in the moment. But if you don't fix what's causing the burnout to begin with, you know, taking a week off and coming back into the same environment that caused the burnout to begin with is only going to, you know, I mean, yeah, a few a yeah. few more weeks down the line, everybody's going to feel burnt out again, right? And so right. I'm not saying that any of these perks are bad. I'm a big fan of all of them. But I think that it's important that as leaders who are making those decisions, that it's really important that you kind of step back and say okay, are these things actually going to fix the core of the problem? Like what is actually creating the problem? Is it just the pandemic itself and we're all just freaking fatigued and over it?
1: Yeah. You know, that's (laughs) one thing,
0: right? And I think also as leaders too, you have to acknowledge, I mean, I think being open and transparent and acknowledging like there's some things that we can't fix. Like we can't fix the pandemic, right? Like I wish we could, (laughs) you know, but I think even being open and authentic and transparent about that helps, right? Because it helps level the playing field for people to say, Hey, you you know, you're not alone. We're all feeling this. So if you do have ideas about what would help, you know, please bring them forward. Because I think, you know, I think everybody, leaders and everybody's kind of trying to figure out how to navigate this world that we're living in.
1: Yeah. So I guess to go back to the point of like, if those offers don't fix burnout, which I totally agree. Um, they don't. Uh, they they just kind of sometimes they're just literally kicking the can down the road too. Um, if the thing that helps people have meaning at work and be less burnt out is building meaningful relationships, as an employer, how do you create a culture where people are building meaningful relationships? And then part two of my question is, if someone's interviewing for a job, how do they know if the culture you know, prioritizes that. Because I think this is kind of a two part thing. It's like, okay, we're in the workplace. And as a manager right now, they're probably thinking, great, I don't want to offer that stuff anymore. I want to fix the problem. I want people to be able to build meaningful relationships. Where do I start? And for the potential employee who just quit their job because they're burnt out, how do they make sure they don't get in this position again?
0: Yeah. That's a great question. So so on the first question, you know, for employers, managers, you know, employees, you know, developing a culture of a strong relationship. So I think it boils down to allowing people to quote unquote, bring their human to work. Right. And so for a long time, and I think that this still exists today, we were all told, you know, check your emotions at work, Um, you know, don't show up and, you know, have too many emotions. So I think first is as kind of a leader and a colleague, you know, doing things that create a psychologically safe environment. And so welcoming emotions in the workplace. And as a colleague and as a leader, emotions are great data, right? When it comes to being a manager of people, if you become very attuned at recognizing emotions in people, you will start to recognize what's really important to them. And, you know, because people, you know, their, their emotions... Show you what matters most to them, and so mm-hmm. I think you know, allowing and creating space for emotion in the workplace. One place to do, one way to do that, and this is a, a, a strategy that I learned from Brené Brown. Is you know, especially in this virtual environment, all through the pandemic, I every time I have a call with my team and they're probably sick of it by now but <laughs> but you know we get on you know we start we start a team meeting and I tell them to type into to the chat you know what are two what are two emotions that you're experiencing today and you know that can be and they don't have to explain why they just have to type them into the chat so for me as a leader right at the outset of a meeting, I know emotionally where everybody is. So if people are telling me that they are exhausted and frustrated or frustrated and hopeful or you know, sad and happy, which you can be sad and happy, which a lot of people don't know that you can be sad and happy at the same time, whatever it is, I know at the start of the meeting where my team's at emotionally. So that actually mm-hmm. helps me Drive the meeting and, you know, or make decisions about the meeting that I, you know, that maybe today is not the greatest day to talk about X topic that I was planning to talk about. But it also gives them permission to say, oh, wow, I can bring my emotions. I can have emotions in the workplace. And if somebody says something that is concerning to me as a leader, then it gives me the information to follow up later in a personal way, to give you a call or send you a note and be like, hey, Lauren, I noticed you said that you were frustrated and sad. Is everything okay? Is there anything I can do to support you? What do you need? And so, I mean, that's a really simple way to get a ton as a leader to get a, a ton of data in a two less mm-hmm. than a minute exercise. And then it also gives you the opportunity to follow up later and say, hey, I really care about you. What can I do to support you? I think also, you know, going beyond, you know, just the hey, how is your weekend or how are you doing? Because we all just have this reflex of saying yeah. fine and moving on, right? Yeah, <laughs> asking, I'm very guilty of that. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. but asking more specific questions. I, you know, people know me in Deloitte. I ask people how they're sleeping, you know? And so people are like, wait, why, why do you want to know how I'm sleeping? <laughs> and because well, it's... <laughs> When you get asked something other
1: than how was your weekend, <laughs> you're yeah. almost like, oh, shoot, I have to actually like turn on my brain to answer this because I'm on autopilot most of the time. Totally. And if, and, and if you tell me that you're not
0: sleeping well, then then I kind of know, okay, well, she's not sleeping well, then she's probably not doing that great. Right. And so then I yeah. can be like, okay, what's going on? What's on your mind? Is there something, you know? And so I think, you know, you don't have to ask people how they're sleeping, but what is a more Kind of specific and not personally probing question, but what's a more specific question that you can like? You know, how are you really doing? And then I also think, you know, as a colleague, as a leader, as as comfortable as you, you know, everybody's going to have a different level comfortable. But but sharing, you know, sharing what's going on with you if you're struggling, sh- you know, be open about that. If you have found something that you know works great for you and your well being and it's a new strategy, share that. You know, asking people what they yep. need you know, getting groups of people together to kind of share what their well-being goals are so we can collectively support one another, you know? And so a lot of this seems very basic <laughs> and it is, but we just don't make that. It doesn't take a lot of time and it actually doesn't take a lot of effort and it takes no money, but yeah. we just have, you know, we've become the fourth industrial revolution has been great in terms of, you know, technology and the abundance of technology but it has also made us as humans feel like we have to compete with that technology and so therefore we have to be on and productive 24 hours a day yeah. and and that's, that's what point. we talk about in the book i mean we you know in in a lot of ways the technology that we use and how we use it and the expectations that we've created around it have taken humanity out of the workplace and our ability to develop those relationships just because we we you know we're kind of in this always on always yeah. connected, you know, world and society that we feel like we, we always have to keep up on. And if we don't, then there's FOMO and we're less committed and all these other things. And we talk a lot about that in the beginning of the book.
1: And Jen, just to, to wrap up for the person who's going for the interview at yeah. a job today, tomorrow, what's one question that they should be asking the interviewer to learn about the culture?
0: I would ask them, like, to actually describe how do you get work done as a team. Like, what does that look like? How do you collaborate? And I think you can even ask them specifically, how does the the organization promote, you know, relationship building amongst, you know, its its um, its its workers or its professionals, and you know, and and how important is that to this organization and kind of to the way that that we get work done? Because we know that you know, increasingly more and more, you know, collaboration is the way of the future when it comes to kind of human work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so I would ask them to describe, like, you know, t- describe a big project that, you know, that you and your team did. And, and what did that look like? And how did work get done? And and how did decisions get made? And, you know, you want to try to understand you know how much autonomy you're going to have in terms of when where and how you get work done and so i think again asking some more of those you know those probing questions asking people to get specific about what it really looks like in that organization and you know in the way that the way that they work
1: yeah, I love that. Jen, you have given us so much good information. Everybody needs to go buy your book because there's even more in it. Um, you guys, it's called Work Better Together How to Build Strong Relationships and Maximize Wellbeing and Boost Bottom Lines, which um, is going to give you even more tips on how to build strong relationships, especially if you're a person who, like we said, maybe you're already Googling this or you identify when we say something like, How does a person know if they're lonely or not lonely at work? It's like if you're Googling it, if you're thinking it, then you probably need to to get this book and and to do some work. And also ask maybe your managers to do the work too. Um I, I think you've brought up a really good point, Jen, which is that managers are people too. So they have work to do on uh, for themselves, but also for their teams. What last final thoughts do you want to leave for both the the managers and the employees who are listening to this right now when it comes to developing a workplace culture of strong relationships?
0: Yeah. So I would say I think that, you know, there's the, the way we think about it, there's a three-legged stool, right? So I think there's the the organization, organizational roles and kind of responsibilities when it comes to relationships and well-being at work, and so you know, organizational programs and policies, and then leaders that actually walk the talk, not just talk the talk, and so role modeling at the leadership level is really important. Teams play a really critical role when it comes to relationship building and well-being because they're the people that we spend the most time with at work. And so really stepping back and having those conversations as a team as to what we want our well-being behaviors and norms you know to be and you know and 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 how we want to connect with one another and what matters to each one of us as individuals and then there's individual and i would just say when it comes to individual you know organizations and teams can only go so far we all are you know the masters of our of our own destiny or our own fate and so we are responsible for our own well-being the boundaries that you know that we set or don't set, and you know, like we talked about before, you know, always stepping back and you know, saying you know, kind of checking yourself to make sure that you're doing your part in making sure that you're making the effort to make strong relationships, but that you're also looking out after your own well-being. Because the truth is, if you're not taking care of yourself, you are truly op- sub-optimizing anything and everything in your life that matters to you, because you're not showing up for the people and and the things that matter most to you, because. You're not taking care of yourself, and so that that mm-hmm. is kind of number one. And then I think you know everything else flows from there. But I do think in order for this to really come to life in an organization, all three of those um, those components need to be working together to create the optimal culture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you got organizational, team level, and then individual. Yes. Um, just to summarize that for everyone. Well, Jen, thank you so much again. Um, people can pretty much buy your book anywhere. You also have a podcast called Work Well. What else do people need to know if they want to hunt you down? <laughs>
0: if they want to hunt me down, I'm on most of the the social channels, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, you can look me up, Jen Fisher, Deloitte. Um, and then on Twitter and Instagram, I'm uh, at jenfish 20 three. And I would love to interact with you.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review. Your reviews help our show so, so much. If you want to learn more about Jen and her book, Work Better Together, check out our show notes. Lastly, if you're ready to find a new job at a company that prioritizes your wellness and building strong relationships, then check out the Job Search Academy online course. We'll show you step-by-step how to find a new job at a company that aligns with your values by focusing your search on your target companies versus just applying to every job you see open. Learn more about the Job Search Academy in the show notes.